and we really, um, we can't wait to see all the great things that, that God is going to do uh, in, our, in, our, in our midst, because it's, it's an amazing journey that he's got us on. And I hope today that um, to begin to, to catch a glimpse of Jesus' heart in a way that maybe you haven't seen in a little while. You think back to the song that, that Kelly just sang for us, and I think we can probably say that we've all been there, right? Those times in life that are plagued by, by trouble, and you know, nothing just seems to go right. The things just fall apart time and time again. First, you try one thing, and you try to make a little bit of a course correction, but uh, out of nowhere, a left hook comes in. And it, it sends you reeling. Or you, you try something else, and your friends give you some advice, and family gives you some advice. And then before you know it, your legs get sweeped out from underneath you, and you hit the ground hard. You try some more, but it never seems to help. Uh, with each new attempt to try to figure life out, a new blow comes by and sucks the air out of your belly until you're stuck, unmovable, it's frozen in place. Or maybe it's one of those times where you've laid out all of your plans. You watch as each fulfilled moment brings you closer and closer to your dreams. And then you lose someone that one person who always cheered you on and always made it okay to take risks. But now as you look at the road ahead, you see your life fading further and further into the distance. Unlovable, unworthy, pathetic, hopeless. And every once in a while, you catch a glimpse. Off in the distance, you, you see some light. And you feel hope that starts to well up in, inside of you. And you start to take one step closer. You're being cautious, but you take another. And another. And all of a sudden, the hope you have is into pieces again. People will try to fix you. All the king's horses and all the king's men will try to put the pieces of your life back together again. But you're never the same, are you? The cracks have marred you. The, the colors just don't quite line up the, the way that people expect them to anymore. And you cry. Oh, they may not see the tears on the outside, but... You're crying on the inside. One of those cries. One of those that lasts for days or weeks or months or maybe even a lifetime. And that's what we're talking about today. Broken lifetimes. The broken lifetime of a man seen through the eyes of a Pharisee. The broken life of a man seen through a matrix of rules and a system of legalism, through a worldview that has no place 
for grace or compassion. We're going to spend some time today talking about a broken man and a broken system. We're going to see Jesus having compassion on that broken man. And yet at the same time, we're going to see Jesus confronting a system that weighs people down unnecessarily. And it's all going to show us a better way. God's way. First, by introduction, let me start by talking a little bit about John. He's the author of our story. He's the one recounting his life as a, as a disciple, and he's old. He's really old. In fact, he's probably the last remaining disciple. All of the others have been been persecuted and, and put, to put to death. But John is still around, and he's been asked to share his story. He was known as the disciple that Jesus loved, but he was also known as a son of thunder, had that spark in his eye. He was one of Jesus' inner circle, and he was the first one to the garden tomb. He's got some story to tell, and it's the last line of his gospel that will serve as our starting point today, for it kind of wraps up really nicely why John is even writing this gospel. But these, these stories and signs that, that uh, John recorded in his gospel, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, John wants us to believe the same way that he does about Jesus. He wants us to put our trust in Jesus. But John didn't follow Jesus because of faith. See, John followed Jesus because of what he saw because of what he heard, what he experienced and lived. In one of his letters to the early church, he puts it this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. John's reason for writing the gospel, he wants us to do something with it. It's not just a story to him. It's life. He would go on to say that the life appeared, not just some ordinary life, but life in the fullest sense imaginable. There was something different about Jesus. There was something magnificent, something full, something complete. And through his story, John wants you and me to see Jesus and experience life this way too. So John's got a purpose behind his story. And we come to John chapter 5 this morning, and in many of your English Bibles, you'll, you'll see a heading over chapter 5. It might say something like, healing on the Sabbath, or Jesus heals a paralyzed man. 
So we'll start in John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, now, Jesus happened to be going south, but he was still going up because any direction that you went in Israel at that time, you went up to Jerusalem because it was on the hill. And Jesus and his disciples were going there for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, whenever a festival was in town, there was always a crowd that gathered in Jerusalem, and this one was sure to be no different. Now, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. It's interesting here to point out that Bethesda means house of mercy, and you'll see why that's important in just a minute. Here at the pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, not just a few. This was a crowded place. It was no resort pool, though. If you didn't have to go there, you avoided it. It stank. People lying around in the sun all day, not able to move, having to do you-know-what, and then rolling around in it. Not the type of place to write home about. And this was considered a house of mercy. Yeah, uh, it was. You see, people back then didn't really depend on doctors. They were scarce, and only the rich people could really afford a doctor. And, but they were also kind of scary, because back in the first and second century in Roman law, a doctor couldn't even examine a dead body to learn about it, to, to figure out what, was, um, what this person might have died from to be able to prevent that. Romans just didn't allow it. So they weren't very good at their craft. So people really only had two ways to hope for a better life. First, they had the temples. If they went to a temple, they might be lucky enough to have one of the priests pray over them and they get healed. The second was superstition. And that's really what our story is about today, a superstition. There was a legend um, at the Pool of Bethesda that every so often an angel would come down and stir the, the, the waters. And the first one that would make it into the pool after that stirring would be healed. Now, they got a lot of people at the, this pool. And it's going to be a very sly and crafty person to be the first one to get in. Hence, the, the pool became known as House of Mercy, Bethesda. And there was one particular man there who, was, who had been there for 38 years. He probably wasn't the quickest one in the crowd. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in that condition for a long time. I think it's interesting that John points out that Jesus learned. You'd think, usually think that Jesus knows everything. But in this case, 
John makes it a point to let us know that he learned about this man. Jesus was probably asking many of the people that were, that were there and kind of getting to know their backstories. He took his time because Jesus knew that there was power in time well spent. And here, Jesus learned something striking. This man had been coming to the pool for 38 years. 38 years, can you imagine that? Long enough for your little brother to go and make a family of his own. Probably long enough for your little brother's kids to go and make a family of their own. Probably long enough for you to see more than half of your your life go by. But it was definitely long enough to lose hope. Which is probably what, what drove Jesus to stop. He stopped and he was talking with the man and I don't think he, he really announced this so that everybody could hear it. He kind of probably bends down or sits down next, next to him and, and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's a striking question, isn't it? One of the, one of the first things that, that I noticed about Jesus' question is that he used the word well. He did not use the word better. The word well carries with it more completeness, as if Jesus was speaking about the man's physical condition, but also showing concern for his heart and his mind and his soul. The word better in my mind conjures up competitive imagery where the purpose is being the best, but that's not what Jesus was about. I'm glad Jesus chose the word well because it's a hopeful question. In fact, Jesus' question has been crashing around in my head for months now, ever since I decided I would talk about the passage of Scripture today. Do I want to get well? It's been echoing and poking and prodding, but Scripture kind of has a way of doing that, doesn't it? If you think about it, for too long. It just starts to, to mull around and to start to have its effect on you. First, we hear the words, and they're harmless. And it was no different for me. I read over the words, and I just kind of sidestep a little bit. And then they come a little bit too close, and I take a step back. I duck down a little bit, all to really avoid hearing the words. I'm not sure if it's because I want to answer yes, and I'm too proud to actually admit that I want to get well, or if I just blatantly want to stay put in my brokenness, where I can keep people at arm's length, not have to deal with do you want to get well? It's an unsettling question. Uh, sometimes asking for help can be humiliating. 
Sometimes getting well brings up the past that you want to keep hidden and buried. Sometimes it really hurts to get well, to break that habit, to forgive that wrong. Sometimes it's just less painful to stay put. But we have a teacher, a guide, a master who refuses to let us stay put. If I stop for a moment and let my guard down, when I hear Jesus' words, I hear compassion. I hear patience. I hear wholeness. And I hear peace. And I want to get well. But most of the time, if I'm honest with myself and I'm honest with you, I've been deliberately blocking Jesus' words from moving in my heart because it's not a question that I want to answer. You see, not everyone wants to get well. And for the longest time, up until just recently, that was me. Sometimes it's a lot of work to get well. Sometimes the, the fear of, of getting well keeps me complacent, and I ignore Jesus' call. And it breaks his heart. Because he knows, like I do, that there's a whole lot more inside of me that I don't let show. Do you want to get well? Jesus gave the, the paralyzed man the option. He did not force his will onto him. It's the same choice that he's given me. It's the same choice that he's given any of you. Am I not willing to pay the price to get well? Jesus' question has wreaked havoc inside of me lately, and I've finally caught enough glimpses of what my life could be like if I chose to get well. To say yes. I'm taking this step. I've realized that staying stuck is selfish. I've got the capacity to get well. When I live in a world where I have all of the opportunities, where I can use my time and my resources, I honor God, I honor myself, I honor my family by taking the steps that I need to to get well. Now, I've had months to, to work through this, to wrestle with this question that Jesus asks, but Jesus asks you the same question. Do you want to get well? Maybe it's time for you to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself the same question, the one that I've been working through. Honestly, no holds barred. Maybe it's the sole reason that you actually came to church today. You'll do well to spend some time with that question. Do you want to get well? For 38 years, this broken man has seen the same story play out in his life. And it's, this has become his go-to answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's stuck. He's no hope. 
For this broken man, it's the same thing day by day, month by month, year by year. He sees no glimpse of compassion. No one's there to help him into the pool. But then again, he has no idea who's standing in front of him. I imagine that Jesus' next words came as quite a shock to this man. I don't think it was a shout for all to hear, but there was a command in Jesus' voice. Get up! It was the same Greek word that that Jesus used when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Get up! Rise up! Wake up! Come to life. Jesus' heart of compassion reached down, pumped hope back into the man's broken legs and purpose back into his heart. But it's actually part two of this verse that makes it more than just a passing miracle. He tells the man to pick up his mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And after he's rolled it up and he turns to find Jesus, but he discovers that Jesus and the disciples have gone back into the crowd. But in asking this man to pick up his mat and walk, Jesus has whacked the hornet's nest on purpose. And this is why. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So the man's carrying his mat, making his way through Jerusalem. He hears the rumblings of the, the festival, and he hears the, the music coming from the, from the temple. So he's probably heading that way to probably make some type of sacrifice to God because, after all, he's just been healed. That's what you did if you were a Jew and there was a festival going on. You went to the temple. But it's a festival. And the Pharisees are out in number two. They're making sure that people aren't breaking the commandments. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to take your mat. Well, it actually didn't. Their tradition would forbid them from carrying his mat. You have to remember that the Sabbath was a big deal to the the Jews. In fact, it was one of the big ten, the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Set apart, special. It was such a big deal that the Pharisees actually had 39 categories of rules concerning what you could and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Not individual rules, but categories of rules. It was called the Oral Torah, or the tradition of the elders. The Pharisees believed that while Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai getting the the written Ten Commandments, that he was also given this 
oral law that would come alongside of the Ten Commandments, that would protect the people of Israel from actually breaking the actual Ten Commandments. And so they believed that it was given to Moses, and it was passed on to Joshua, and then it was passed on to the judges, and then to the prophets, and eventually it made its way all the way down to the Pharisees. This oral tradition held the same weight in their culture as the, the regular law did, as the Ten Commandments did. And the Pharisees felt it was their duty to be the enforcers. In their mind, this man was breaking the fourth commandment. Now, the whole point of this commandment, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, was to take a break from labor, to work on six days and take that seventh day as a break. But it wasn't to take a break from love. It was there to provide a, a break, an opportunity for a person to rest and relax from their occupation not take a break from compassion. But this is what happens in religions. This is what happens in religious people. When they or we forget or ignore the why behind the what. And Jesus has just set the stage for a confrontation now, is Jesus doing this to make a spectacle of the man? Was Jesus' heart of compassion just compromised by a premeditated act of showmanship? No. Jesus' call, calling out of the Pharisees is to shine the spotlight on compassion. It's the driving force behind his asking the man to pick up his mat and walk. You see, Jesus' compassion on the man has everything to do with the Sabbath. No, not the rules that the Pharisees chose to enforce, but rather the true intention behind the Sabbath, to take a break from your routine and be truly human. Jesus' intention is to show us that the Sabbath is for taking a break from labor, not from, for taking a break from love. The Pharisees were missing the point. And when what's best for people is no longer what's most important to you, you're at odds with God. When what's best for people is no longer what's most important for me, I'm at odds with God. And the reason I say this is that, that John, the one who brings the story, would interrupt a previous story. And John would say that he doesn't know if Nicodemus actually really got what Jesus was saying to him. But Jesus was trying to say is, for God so loved people. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the Jews, the Gentiles, every race, every gender, every language, every generation. He loved people so much that he sent his son, John's rabbi, savior, and friend, Jesus, to pay for sins so that every person everywhere could be reconnected with God. God's priority in the commandments is not the text. God's priority is the race 
made in his image. And anything that I do to, to hurt another person is a sin. Anything that I do to distance another person from God is a sin. Any theological thing or spiritual application that I can make that gets in the way of somebody being treated with dignity is a sin. When love is no longer the heart of your standing orders, watch out. Because you might be becoming a Pharisee. I might be becoming a Pharisee. It's the Sabbath law. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, we've already established that it was their tradition that established this. But the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. See, this is where we find out that, that he didn't even know Jesus' name at this point. And I kind of hear a little bit more of a conversation that goes, goes on with, with the man and the Pharisees. He probably says, hey, fellas, you know, the reason that I picked up my mat wasn't like I was trying to violate the Sabbath. It's because this man told me to. Do you even know who I am or where I've been? The reason that I picked up my mat and walked was because a man asked me to. Of course I listened to him. For 38 years, people have passed me by, poked fun at me, told me it was my own fault that I was the way that I was and that I must have done something wrong. And then he comes along and gives me a gift that you say that I don't deserve? You better believe I chose to pick up my mat and walk and do what he asked me to do. I'm certain that the Pharisees probably interrupted our, our, our man. Probably went something like, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? We have another rule. It's, it's against our law to practice medicine on the Sabbath. You are clearly not dying. He could have waited one more day. Give us his name. We're making a list. And then in the next verse, we find out the man that didn't know Jesus um, because he had slipped into the crowd. And then we come to the part of the story that I'm sure John liked telling the most. I think it's probably one of the funniest things that Jesus says in Scripture. Sometimes when we, when we read Scripture, we can let it get all jumbled up and not really make sense of what Jesus is really saying. And there are commentaries and commentaries and commentaries that, that say this is a really tough thing that Jesus says, and they're not sure what, what, this, what Jesus is talking about here. But I think if you go to the text and you just kind of read it for what it is, I think you get to see the heart of Jesus. Later, after all of the hubbub died down, after this guy had his run-in with the Pharisees, Jesus found him at the temple. Right? He went to the temple. 
And Jesus said this to him. See? You're well again. Wink, wink. The man probably did a double take because he's seeing Jesus for the second time now and he's realizing who it was. He's looking at the man that, that, that healed him. But Jesus continues. I'm, I think that Jesus has probably walked up and, and, and put his arm around this guy at this point and he's kind of talking with him and he says, Stop sinning. Hear it? Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Do you see it? Jesus is hilarious here. He's joking around with this guy. Oh no, here come the Pharisees. You better stop before they come and get you. Who knows, maybe something else worse is going to happen. But there's a punchline here for us, too. In this situation, the way that Jesus is building this man up, joking with him, getting to know him a little bit more, when you recognize who Jesus really is, when you recognize who John recognized who Jesus really is, you start to lose your fear of religion. You start to lose your fear of religious people. Some of you really need to hear that today. When you truly discover who Jesus is, religion will lose its grip on you. People will come first, not rules and regulations. And Compassion will reign, not the weight of legalism. Now, this is me reading between the lines a little bit here. And I, I want to think that, that Jesus probably had some more conversation with this guy, and he told the man to go talk to the Pharisees. Because we don't get much in the way of details here, but it says that the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, if someone had just made me well and the authorities were looking for him, I'm not too sure that I would go and give them his name. So I think Jesus might have had a little bit of an extended conversation with him. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Jesus must have heard some of the Pharisees grumbling what had happened. And immediately, in his defense, Jesus threw it right back at him. John must have really enjoyed telling this part, too. He said to them, hey, hey, hold on there. You know my father. He's always at his work. Right to this very day. And I, too, am working. You know, God doesn't take a day off. Isn't God always at work? Everywhere around us, he's always doing something. Yeah. Jesus is just being like his father. Like father, like son. For this reason, the Pharisees tried to kill him all the more. And not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
Who does Jesus think he is? Exactly. That's the question, isn't it? Who does he think he is when he cleanses the temple? They don't say, what are you doing? They say, who do you think you are? And John gives us his gospel. And he would say to you, if you wrestle with anything, wrestle with that question. Who do you think he is? That's the issue. That's the point of the sign. That's the reason why Jesus did what he did. So people would arrive at their own conclusion without forcing them into his answer. Who do you think you are? This guy is making himself equal with God. Exactly. Who would do that? How would he substantiate such a claim? And then Jesus gave them this backup answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. What an extraordinary statement by Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Hey, people. Hey. Do you want to know what God is really like? Do you really want to, want to wrestle with it? It's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. How do you figure it out? Do, do, we, do you look at the outer space? Do you look within? Do you look at nature? Do you want to know what God is really like? Watch Jesus. It's that simple. You want to know what God is like? Watch Jesus. Do you want to know what, what God would actually say in a circumstance like this? Listen to him. Do you want to know what God would actually do if you were here? Jesus would say, follow me. Now, Jesus has some more words for the Pharisees, and he, he, he says, your whole life you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But Jesus is showing them in this situation, there's no eternal life in the text. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's that word again. Life. Jesus must be saying, gentlemen, I understand your confusion, but you've opted for something written over something living. You've opted for your interpretation over a living demonstration of what God is like. And up until now, you've all had an excuse. You, all you had was the text. But to use John's own words, the word has become flesh. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Life, full life, is standing right in front of you. The guessing is over. Jesus is a living commentary on everything that's come before. And for us today, that's why the gospel is so important. In a world 
that's filled with political and moral and religious systems, with new ideas and ideologies to wrestle with every day, with all the assumptions and tensions. God made it simple. He showed up. He showed up to give us a way to move beyond our brokenness with a simple question. Do you want to get well? With a simple act of compassion. Pick up your mat and walk. He sets a broken man free to live his life again, to live it to the full. But more than that, Jesus points to a better way beyond a broken system, a way that restores hope, a way that can change the world. North River, do you want to get well? Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. It's not just a call for me. It's not just a call for you. It's a call for us. A call for us all to get better. It's a call for us all to see beyond our brokenness. There are flaws in our system. Flaws that press people down. Flaws that would hold us back. Flaws where everyone, everywhere, are held back from experiencing the fullness of life in Jesus. Do you want to get well? To take a break from the Sunday entrapments that you put on every week for show? To see a people with a heart of compassion, not just at church, but at work, at the gym, at the grocery store. Wherever I am, wherever you are, wherever we are, the you beside you, the you in back of you, the you in front of you, the you beside you must take priority for us to get well. For compassion to become the change the world aches for and needs, get up. Do you want to get well, North River? I do. Let's do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves, but that you reach down into our brokenness and pick us up. That you give us the ability to wrestle with questions and to consider alternatives. But God, you've always shown yourself faithful. You've always shown us the, the way of life, full life. And so God, as we go our separate ways this week, remind us of that question. Do you want to get well? God, we do. I do. Help us move us along the journey, God, so that um, we can become the best that we can be, that we can become the, the church that's known for its heart of compassion, so that we can be the church that makes a difference in the world. God, we thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And we ask that with each new day, you would have him take more and more root in our heart. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and uh,
I'm going to take our, our morning offering. If it's your first time at North River, please don't feel that it's an obligation uh, for, for you to, to, uh, to do anything with the, with the offering. But this time of offering is a, is a way for all of us to show back our gratitude for the ways that, that God has blessed us, for the opportunity to, to see the ways that, that he has changed our lives. And so as the ushers come by, please consider doing your best for God.